Good morning, Midland Free. Hey, good morning. My name is Pastor Jeremy. Welcome here. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. You made the right choice. Oh, it's a beautiful day in May, and uh, this is the first one in a long time, but we're glad you're here. Uh, my son, this last Friday, he wrote a poem. He's in fourth grade, and uh, that could mean a lot of different things, but this one I actually think turned out pretty decent. He's uh, a fourth grader, it was a Friday night, and it's May in Michigan. And so let me remind you, it's May in Michigan, and this is the poem he wrote. It's entitled, Winter. <laughs> yeah. it, it goes, cold breeze, ice freeze, Santa Claus, cold paws, sleeping bears, no hopping hares, boots crunch, deers munch, it's winter. Blazing fires, snowy tires, downhill sledding, cozy bedding, sipping soup, trees droop, marshmallows toasting, snowboarders, snowboarders boasting. It's winter. There you go. Amen. It's not winter anymore. It's spring. And I know it's a little bit confusing for some of us. Someone told me on the way in that they ran all the gas out of their snowblower this last weekend. And they're keeping their fingers crossed and they're hoping. In our neighborhood, what you see now is a bunch of tree trimming services coming down the streets because we have a lot of trees and there's all kinds of issues. You see it both now. And in the fall, boy, chainsaws are going all day long. And what happens is this, as is the case probably in many of your properties, in mine, I have multiple different issues. One is a tree that's completely dead in the backyard. And I'm looking at that saying, all right, the power lines are right here. The neighbor's fence is right there. We'll see which way the wind blows. <laughs> Actually, I should get it taken care of, right? And then the front yard... I have one tree that's got a rotten stump at the bottom. It's still growing and has leaves, but you can see the hole in the middle. That's an issue. And then there's a couple trees that are right near my house. And they're dropping all kinds of junk on my roof and in my gutters. And they're leaning, leaning, leaning. They look nice. My wife doesn't really want to remove them. But I'm kind of like, eh, house, tree, you know, not much of a trade-off there. So I made some calls. I got some tree trimmers coming, and the guy's advice to me is, you know what, I could trim it now, or you could just take it down because I'll be coming back in a couple years anyways. And so I'm looking at these things, and I'm thinking, man, they're really beautiful, and we love trees, and they're a good thing if they're in the right spot. But if they're in the wrong spot, then they're just really in the way. And if they are leaning, they can actually become dangerous. Like if they're a big tree and they're headed towards your home, you're kind of in trouble and eventually you have to do something about that. Well, so too in our lives, there's a lot of stuff that we have planted around us and we think they're beautiful and they provide shade and they do all these different things. But you get too many of them, and all of a sudden they get in the way and eventually they start leaning. And if they're leaning in the wrong way, they can lead to your destruction. And so today, as we talk about the next story of Gideon and how we as Christ followers in the New Testament pursue Jesus, what we're going to see is that sometimes, either on purpose or inadvertently or whatever, obstacles get in our way, stuff's in our path, not necessarily bad things, but important things, good things, but things that really need to be moved in order for them to function as they should. Today we're going to talk about clearing the paths to our hearts from Judges chapter 6. And what I want to show you is this. In this chapter, in this story of Gideon, 
This is the third in our three-part series. It'll be the last one. There's more we could cover, but we're just focusing on the heart and what it, uh, what it means to us. And it's this. There's basically three things we're going to see today. There's a problem, a solution, and an application. A problem, a solution, and application. Gideon has a problem. God has a solution. Then we're going to apply it to our lives. Similarly, here's what we'll see. And it's almost a one-for-one. You can just do it. Gideon to us. Even though the years are far removed, the, the, the scenario is very similar. There's something in Gideon's life that's going to prevent him from wholeheartedly following God. There's something there. We're going to read the text today and say, what is it? What's God want him to do about it? And the solution is basically hack it down. Take the axe to it. Get rid of it. And the application then for us is, okay, that was for Gideon, but what about us? Is there something in your life that is preventing you from wholeheartedly following the Lord? It may be a good thing, maybe a family thing, maybe a tradition, whatever. But is it there? And if so, don't ignore it. And the question is, what are you going to do? What do you have to remove to follow God 100%? Judges chapter 6, the uh, verses are going to be up on the board. I'll read them to you. I'll summarize a little bit in between. And then we'll come out uh, at the back end on verse 32. It says this in Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. It says, The Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And Gideon said to the Lord, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. That was kind of last week, the call. The Lord said to him, you know, don't worry, I'll be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And Gideon said to the Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign. You know, throughout this whole narrative, there's all kinds of times when Gideon's asking for signs. This is the first one. Show me a sign that's you who speak with me. Please do not depart from me. Do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. So Gideon realizes he has a special visitor. He's trying to delay them, and he wants to bring them a gift. And so the Lord says, stay. I will stay until you return. Now what happens in the meantime is Gideon goes away. He cooks a goat, some unleavened bread. He brings it back. He sets it before his guest. He's like, okay, let's eat. And the guest takes the broth, picks it up. He he sets the meat and the other stuff and the uh, bread on a rock. Then pours the broth all over the meat, touches it with his staff, and up it goes in smoke. And Gideon all of a sudden realizes, whoa, that was awesome. Holy smokes, what's going on here, right? Holy smokes. All right. This is a big deal. There's somebody in front of me who's really, really special. And Gideon perceived, verse 22, that, oh, wow, this isn't just any visitor. This is the angel of the Lord. This is a theophany, a God sighting, literally. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He thinks he's going to die. What the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is Shalom, or the Lord is peace cool stop there not exactly 
there's still something in Gideon's life that's just holding things up. He would probably go out, I suppose, now and say, hey, I saw my sign, it's time to go. But wait, there's something inside we got to take care of first. What is it? Verse 25. That night the Lord said to him, okay, take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. And cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here. With the stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering. With the very wood of the Asherah pole that you just cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was afraid of his family. And the men of the town to do it by day. He did it by night. And when the men of the town arose early in the morning, behold, all of a sudden, whoa, what happened? The altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah pole beside it was cut down too. And the second bowl was offered on the altar that had been built. They said to one another, who has done this? And after they searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. And the men of the town said to Joash, bring your son out that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for Baal shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore on that day Gideon was called Jerubbabel, that is to say, let Baal contend against him. Because he broke down his altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What's happening here is this. is God has just encountered Gideon. Gideon has met with the angel of the Lord. He's been commissioned. He's been given a sign. But before he can go, he has to clean out something that's in his heart. There's an issue. There's a problem. And God's not going to look the other way when there's something wrong going on inside of your life. He's not going to use you if there's sin sitting there. So before you go forward, God says, hey, it's time to clean this out. And what Gideon discovers when he begins to do his spring cleaning is that there is an issue in his backyard. Now, this is not a tree that is dead, but instead something that is dead made of a tree. It is an idol. And to we moderns, we look at that and go, ho, 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 idol. (laughs) How funny, silly, ancient, pagan. What are you doing? Having some stone. Knock it down. No big deal. Blah, blah, blah. But the reality is this. In Gideon's family, this could have been a long-standing tradition, you know? It's not just like this is the yard art, the concrete donkey, or whatever else you put back there. But this is something that has been around for a while that they've spent a lot of money on, that there's probably sweat equity, there's financial investment, there's cultural value. This is something they do as a community. Every year they come together to celebrate this. Gives us an opportunity to talk to our friends and family, see everybody, a common point of connection. We go away. Forgetting he might be saying, hey, you know what? I don't really necessarily worship this thing. I worship God. This is just something I have in my backyard that makes me relevant, part of the culture. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. I'm still for Yahweh. I just got this little thing. But meanwhile, God has come to him and said, no, 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 no. 
However you rationalize it is not okay because as the one true God, I demand, yea, I require exclusive devotion. Exclusive. In fact, in Exodus 20, verses 3 and 5, God says this. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for this is the way I am. Look, I am a jealous God. And he goes on and on to describe himself. But the point is, he is passionate for his glory. And he will not share it with any other. He is the one true God. This is a great contrast to the idols that are sitting in Gideon's backyard. You see, for idols, they're the exact opposite. You say, oh boy, God is jealous. Well, idols aren't. If you don't want a jealous God, you can go after an idol because idols are like, hey, the more the merrier. (laughs) We're happy to have as many other idols in this property, in this place, being worshipped by this person as you want to put there. Go ahead, bring on Baal, Asherah, whoever, whoever, whoever. Put them all. Why not? And the reason is not because they're multicultural ecumenical, but instead because they are driven by demons. And the demons know that the more there is, the less of you for God. In other words, every single idol that they put there is one more distraction in the face of the believer. There's one I got to worship this weekend. There's one I got to worship this weekend. There's one I got to worship this weekend. Before long, their whole lives are full of idols and they've completely forgotten about God. See, the idol's happy to have God sitting right there. Yeah, you can worship Yahweh too. Worship Yahweh one day, worship me the other. I'm cool with that. But Yahweh's like, no, no other things are God's ever, only me. That's God versus idols. So we look at our lives, and I think we see in very similar ways the same thing. We got stuff in our lives, and we're like, yeah, yeah, the stuff's like, yeah, yeah, God too, he can do that. The guy's like, oh, hold on. Me, me, don't take your eyes off. So what's Gideon's solution? Well, verse 25 tells us, pull down the altar of Baal. Here's a slide. Cut down the Asherah. It's a pole. See, they're fertility goddesses, and it's actually kind of profane. The pole is to represent the male. The other one looks like a female. And God is like, chop it down and use the very wood to burn a sacrifice to me. Defile it and show them who is real. Now, when you think about this, this is a major ask. I've already described to you a little bit how important this might have been to their family, but think about it. What God has just said is, Gideon, go into your parents' home and take what is precious to them and smash it to the ground. (laughs) How many of you say, sign me up for that task? (laughs) I want to go to mom and dad and that thing that they've held on to for so long that they think is so cool and tell mom and dad, I just want you to know that's sinful and you shouldn't have that in your life and I'm here to get rid of it for you. (laughs) How do you think that's going to go? I mean, it's one thing to march into the land of Midian, right? And be like, oh, you pagan idol worshipers, slash, slash, see you later back home. Done. You know, no one's going to see you at Walmart or the grocery store. (laughs) But these people, 
from their own community, their family, their friends, their beloved. They got to live with the rest of their lives. And God is calling on him to confront them in a dramatic way. And he knows it. In fact, he knows that these people are going to come to the defense of the pagan altar before they come to his defense. He's so afraid of them that he has to do this at night. He knows they're going to be out to get him. The reality is, is this. When you take a stand for God, people don't like it. And the reason, we may even be in some secular, multicultural culture or whatever, but the reason is, is because that shines the light on them. When you do what is right, it shines a bright spotlight, and that spotlight highlights anything that shouldn't be there. And people don't like that. They're like, oh, turn out the light. (laughs) You don't need to call attention to that. But he is. Straight front and center, he's walking in and saying, Mom, Dad, what you're doing is wrong. I'm going to take care of it. We're cutting it down. Oh, boy. Here we go. There's a cost. There's a major cost. There's a commitment to following Christ. Gideon shows us that before the battle, the real battle begins. In other words, before he goes out to battle the Midianites, he has to fight the demons in his own home. Before he goes out to conquer the enemy, he has to conquer within himself. What is the real issue, man? The real issue is in you. (laughs) And once you get that cleaned out, then you can take on the world. But don't even try until you have. There's something in the way, dude, and you got to take care of it. Hack it down. Gideon, what are you going to do? Well, before we answer that question for Gideon, let's ask the question to ourselves. In a very similar way, what in your life is holding you back from wholeheartedly following the Lord? What in your life, it might even be a good thing, You know, it's not bad. It's not sinful. I'm not saying everything other than Jesus is bad. It might be something good that he gave you. But is it something you think about that distracts you from the best? Does it get in your way? Is it blocking your view? What is that thing that is holding you back from wholeheartedly following the Lord? And what are you going to do? See, Jesus is, is... God made flesh, and therefore he says the exact same things that God did. He says it like this, Matthew twenty two thirty seven: You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. That's it. Everything on him. An idol would come into your life and say, yeah, have God and me too. And a little of this, and a little of that, and a little of that, and it's fine. Don't worry about it. You can worship God on Sundays, but give us the other six. We're good. One day a week is enough. God can have you on Sundays. We'll take you the rest. But Jesus says, no, every single day, all the time, 24-7, your whole life, yes or no, in or out, what is it? You want to follow me? Sell everything and follow me. Why does he say that? Do we have to literally? No, but because he was going after the one thing that was so important to that dude, he could not give it up. And that's what God does. When he comes to you, if you were to meet Jesus, he would look straight at you. And after smiling and giving you a hug, he'd look right at that issue, whatever it is, and say, that, get rid of it. 
<laughs> Lord, could we finish having dinner first? <laughs> Smoke. Burn it up. It's an offering to God. What is it in your family that is anti-God? give you a few examples. These are ones that are easy to possess, that aren't actually physical or tangible, but are often right there. How about this one? Perfectionism. Perfectionism. Well, we want it to do well. I mean, we, we, we want the best for our... We're, we're just trying to... Yeah, but is there some area in your life that you could say, I'm just trying too hard and it's okay if that's not perfect because these things are more important and I need to give that up right now. Perfectionism. How about pride? That's a really hard one to put our finger on, but man, that is there. And I think that's the root of just about every other sin. Pride. You know, why, why is it so hard for me to say I'm sorry? Why is it so hard for me to confess that I was wrong? Why is it so hard for me to make a mistake? Why, is it, why do I have to argue? Why? Pride. Pride. Pride is fake. It's pretentious. It pretends we're perfect when we all know we're not. Unforgiveness. You know, the things you just say, yeah, I'm not, but you kind of remember all the time and may just kind of look back on and dwell in for a little bit. Not necessarily hitting someone over the head with it, but you haven't exactly forgot it either. Unforgiveness. Anger. Well, mine's a righteous anger. <laughs> yeah, most of us think that. It's pretty hard to find. Sinful desire. I want to make that one broad because we can talk about sexuality and we can talk about a lot of other things, but desire itself, unless it's for God, is not necessarily good. Sinful desire. Lord, make my desires what you want so that I long for you and your gospel, your kingdom, your good, your glory. Change my desires. And that would be a miracle. That would be awesome. That's truly a work of the Holy Spirit. These may not be tall standing trees in your backyard, but their roots go deep into your very soul. And the fruit that comes out sometimes will surprise you. Christ follower like Gideon, this is a crucial juncture for you. This is a fork in the road, a key moment in your spiritual journey where you have to make a decision. What are you going to do? Commitment has a cost, but this right here, right now, in this moment is where the real battle begins. You go out there, you've already won or lost. Battle's been decided. Right now is where the decision comes that determines the outcome. The battle is not of the field, but of the heart. What in your life is a barrier to wholeheartedly following the Lord? Idols are very happy to share. <laughs> they will find a million and one ways of justifying being there. They'll share with God. They'll share with family. They'll share with recreation, sports, hobbies, 
toys like Jeeps, golf clubs, guns, entertainment, travel, devices, and home improvements. They'll share. And I can imagine, you know, we look back on Gideon and we say, ha, you have that in your backyard, that's so funny, why do you need that? He would look us right in the eye and say, you got all this stuff in your life, why do you need that? generations have lived without it and we think we need it and it's true a lot of it helps but if there's too many trees if there's the wrong leaning then it's leading to our destruction and we don't even realize it all that stuff it's there yeah but it's part of our culture we blend in with the people around us it gives us something to rally around and and ask questions about and engage with but what is it really doing What in your life is a barrier that's holding you back from wholeheartedly, exclusively following Christ? Get rid of it. Burn it. Use that to become the very offering that brings glory to God. Amen? So what happened to Gideon then? Well, it's kind of hard to say, really. Like most people... He's a complex character. You read the rest of the story and there's like ups and downs. You're like, so is he a good guy or a bad guy? Is he a coward or a hero? I can't really figure it out. Let me summarize it for you. Initially, God commissions him and calls him mighty warrior. This ain't, the angel of the Lord comes and consumes the sacrifice. Gideon does follow through and he tears down his father's pagan altars. Even though it's at night, he still gets it done. But then he's still not convinced, and he asks for a fleece, not once, but twice. God reduces the size of Gideon's army, which is actually a miracle that all those people followed him. Can you imagine in a tribal culture where no one gets along, all of a sudden making a call and everyone comes together? That's a miracle. (laughs) That's like herding cats, and all of a sudden he does it. He should have seen that. God reduces the size of the army. He attacks with nothing more than torches and trumpets and still wins. And yet, when you follow the rest of it, it looks like this bloody cleanup campaign where there's intertribal rivalry. Um, People aren't welcoming them. He takes revenge on them. They offer to make him king, which he rightly refuses, but then he accepts all their tribute as if he were. Finally, it tells us that um, he takes that tribute and he makes it into an ephod. An ephod was a thing for a priest to um, get uh, sort of the will of God discerned to him. In other words, Gideon is still going back to that old thing with signs. He can't quite get away from it. And that ephod turns out to be something that they worship. turns out to be a downfall. And the Israelites rebel again and again, and you see the same cycle over and over again, the sin and rebellion, the discipline, the cry out for help, God's deliverance and peace. And there's Gideon. It's a mixed legacy. He's not exactly the ideal, but what he does do that's super, super cool is he points us towards the ideal. See, anytime we look at a man or a woman and we say, oh, man, they're awesome, inevitably, after a while, we find out, man, not so awesome, <laughs> you know? Oh, this person, they're the greatest. You go to a funeral and hear everything they did well. 
Meanwhile, their family is talking in the hall like, well, yeah, there was that time. (laughs) Reality is we're just people, and if we look at a person to be perfect, we're always going to be disappointed. Don't look at your pastor. Don't look at the pope. Don't look at whoever. Nobody is perfect. Look at Jesus. That's where judges pointed. You're not here to serve me. You're not here to serve anyone else. You're serving Christ. If you're serving someone else, you think they're going to turn around and say, thank you, you're disappointed. But if you're serving Jesus, you're never disappointed. Every single time he comes through. You're not serving your family. You're not serving me. You're not serving the church. You're serving Christ. What in your life is whole heart what's holding you back from serving him? Look, this book is not about just intertribal warfare and development of a monarchy. This book is about the deliverer who has come to set his people free. Judges points to Jesus. The ultimate warrior, the hero, the conquering king, the rescuer, the lion, and the lamb. We start out this series and we ask this question, how do we live in dark days, right? That's an interesting title. How to live in dark days. It's funny, I've got a text here I want to show you. Don't flip it quite yet, guys. There's a text in the Bible that starts out just like that. Dark days. It's dark. And all of a sudden, a bright light. And that's a text you've probably heard a bazillion times before if you've been in church. And you didn't actually realize that this one is part of Judges. There's a reference in here that points to Gideon himself. Let me show you. Isaiah chapter 9 says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Yeah, they were punished. They cried out for a deliverer. And then what happened? Verse 4. For the yoke of his burden, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. That's, that's the Gideon thing. That's it, right there. Gideon. This is the day of Midian. When the Midianites were defeated. For to us a child is born and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Not Gideon's, not David's, but Jesus. And his name shall be called the Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of his increase, his government, and the peace, there will be no end. Every single one of these silly cycles ended. But Jesus' doesn't. They stopped over and over and over again, but this one will not. Do you see that? And on that throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish and uphold it with righteousness from this time forth forever more judges points to jesus not to gideon not to anybody else but to christ what in your life is holding you back from following father we thank you for your perfect son 
to whom there is no equal or shadow of turning. We praise you for you are good forever and ever. Lord, even if I can't do it, even if I can't pull down my own altars, I pray that you would you would burn them and thrash them to the ground so I come groveling back to you. Lord, that's a hard prayer to pray, and I know that when I walk out, I'll be challenged on that in every way. But help us to win here today, Lord, in this room, the real battle, the battle for our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.